Hello, friend. Welcome to Running Scared. I'm Coach Christine. I'm a level two RRCA and a Run Walk Run certified coach. And if you enjoy a little bit of true crime along with running, or you're at least willing to get laced up, get out for a walk or get onto the elliptical or stress stepper, then welcome because you have found your corner of the internet and we are likely going to be fast friends. Now let's get right into today's case and our workout. But first and foremost, let's warm it on up in three, two, and one. You're going into a tall, strong walking warm up here. And then I'll go over a little bit of housekeeping notes. Regardless of whatever activity you're doing here, you want to make sure that you're walking tall or that you're nice and tall. You're staying relaxed. You're staying light on your feet. You have your core engaged. If you're outdoors, you're being very mindful of your surroundings. And it's always a good idea that someone that you love and trust knows where you're heading or at least when to expect you back home. If you're inside on that treadmill, bring the incline on up to at least a 1%. That's going to help to minimize the impact on your joints. If you're on any other kind of cardio machine, elliptical, rower, stair stepper, you're on the bike, all of those kind of form cues are still going to be very much important to you to follow. So focusing on your breath, keeping your core engaged, the shoulders down and back, and then just really enjoying yourself along the way. Today is the final installation for the True Crime Love Never Dies, the killer couple edition of Murder, Mayhem, and Miles Accountability Challenge. And for all of you listening along, true crime lovers, I want to wish you a very happy Valentine's Day today and every day of the year. I also want to give you a big high five, congratulate you for getting in those challenge miles. Great work to everybody who signed up and got in after walking, running, hiking, biking to tag all of those miles along this journey. But I do want to give a very special shout out and congratulations to our grand prize winner, Sarah Roberts. Congratulations, Sarah. Also, if you're thinking, what is she talking about? Well, here at Running Scared with Coach Christine, occasionally we have up these pop-up challenges that's all about accountability, tackling on some miles. And if you are curious, you want to participate in the future with the fun little pop-up prizes that come up as well, please use the link in the episode notes to sign up for the Running Scared newsletter. I promise you, you're not going to get spammed by me, but we do have a lot of fun in the works. In the meantime, I want to get into setting the stage for today's case and story. It is a tale as old as time. Boy meets girl. Boy likes girl. Girl likes boy. They fall madly in love. And then they go on a bank robbing, gun toting, murderous crime spree. Okay, well, maybe not that last part, right? However, the story of Bonnie and Clyde is most definitely revered as one of those true lovebirds of history, along with Cleopatra and Mark Anthony, Romeo and Juliet, and of course, Beyonce and Jay-Z. However, despite all of the glam and the tell death do us part, that little gangster energy that they had, well, I'm here to tell you that the story wasn't quite as sexy. It definitely was not glamorous. And... The only thing that we can say, though, is that the love story does include chocolate and quite a bit of poetry. So maybe they were the perfect Valentine's Day couple after all. Well, they did unfortunately meet a very gruesome fate. I do want to let you know that this story will provide some details of how they got there. And along the way, there's going to be a few bumps with this journey. But I'll do my best to help separate facts from fiction as I give you the Runner's Digest of the Bonnie and Clyde story. 
Before we get any further into this workout, though, I want to thank you all for downloading, listening, and supporting this podcast. I love having you along for this journey. And while I may not be the type of gal that's ride or die because I got questions, but let's be honest, when you're done with this episode, you're really not going to want that kind of ride or die love anyway. Now, friends, we are almost coming to the end of this warm up and we're going to get right into our workout. And if you're wondering what is exactly the workout that I can expect, well, we're going to be using the RPE effort scale of one to 10 here at True Crime Style with Running Scared. We're going to do one as an easy peasy stroll. 10 is oobish. There's a murderer on the loose heading your way. You better sprint for your life. So we're going to do segments here today. We're going to do five minute conversation pace pushes with a follow up of a pace change. And that pace change, you can either pull it back into a walk or you can push up into a harder effort. I'm going to leave that up to you and how you are feeling here today. But without further ado, let's get right to it. Getting into our very first five minute block in three, two, and one. Let's rock it, my friends. As we get going here, let me remind you that before you start to cast a lot of judgment on Bonnie and Clyde, that they participated in this crime spree during a really difficult time in history. It was during the depression there weren't a lot of jobs to be found. Things were definitely a lot harder. People lived a bit more Well, let's just say they weren't looking for Instagram or TikTok filters to turn them into puppies during this time. They definitely lived a bit much harder, leaner time. So friends, I tend to believe that maybe if Bonnie and Clark would have been alive during this time and day and age, they would have found that fame that they craved a little differently. However, here and now, we're going to go ahead and set the stage and get started learning a bit more by Miss Bonnie Parker. Miss Bonnie Parker was born on October 1st, 1910 in Rowena, Texas to Emma and Charles Parker. She had an older brother and a younger sister, which led to that middle child syndrome, that invisible child syndrome that maybe kind of ended up being part of the reason why she wanted so much fame and glory. Well, when she was just four years old, her father passed away and her mother moved the family to an impoverished suburb of Dallas known as Cement City. She went to live with Bonnie's grandparents to help her raise those three children. While there, Bonnie attended the local schools and she was known by many of her classmates and her teachers to be bright. She had a keen interest in poetry and literature. She even earned honors in all of her studies. She was a very petite, small, frail looking young woman, but she was thought to be exceptionally pretty. So she wanted to turn that pretty. She wanted to cash that check in turn it into becoming famous as an actress. Remember again, they're not living in Insta fame. She can't be a TikTok star, reality star. Back then, infamy, famous life was all about being a Hollywood moving picture star. And that's exactly what she was hoping to have. A lot of folks say that at that time, she really showed no signs that she would indicate getting involved with more of a criminal pursuit later on in life. Now, during her second year of high school, Bonnie, well, before she became famous, she became involved and fell head over heels with, no, not Clyde, not quite yet. She fell head over heels with a fellow classmate by the name of Roy Thornton. 
And on September 26th, just days before Bonnie's 16th, her sweet 16th birthday, I should say, they were married. Bonnie decided to celebrate this romance by getting a tattoo of their names on her right thigh. However, while it may have started off with their love being inked onto her body, it was also a very, very difficult marriage. He soon became physically abusive and their marriage started to fall apart. They did end up separating because in 1929, Roy was sentenced to a five-year prison sentence for robbery and Bonnie moved in with her grandmother. They never did get divorced though and they never saw each other again. However, Roy did have some thoughts about her. He learned about her her infamous spree and her death later on in life. But alas, as Bonnie goes on to live with her grandmother, she also meets someone else. She meets Clyde through a mutual friend in January 1930. Bonnie was just 19 years old, but Clyde, who was 20, at this point was already kind of had had some skirmishes with the law. Some have even described him as having a volatile relationship with the law. He was a wanted man. He, however, vowed he was never, ever going to go back to prison after his first stint in jail. After spending much time together during the following weeks after meeting, their budding romance was interrupted and cut short because Clyde got himself into some trouble. He got arrested and convicted of several criminal charges pertaining to auto theft. And with that, friends, know that we're going to learn a little bit more about what turned Clyde into this life of crime. But first, you've got a pace change coming on up in five, four, three, two, and one. You're here for just 60 seconds. You can either pull back into a walk. You can, if you're on a treadmill, pull back on the incline a little bit. Maybe if you want to go ahead and pop off, or you can push on up into more of a harder effort, change that incline on up and just kind of really get a good sweaty session on as we start to have just 35 seconds left on this clock before we pull it on back into our next segment and learn more about Clyde. Now, I've been feeling a little sassy myself. So personally, I would probably push the pace here. And then right about here with 15 seconds on the clock, I'd start to maybe pull it on back a little bit, easing into my conversation pace. And let's all meet back there, whether you're going back up into it or pulling back in three, two, and one. Back up to our next five minute block. So we're wanting to learn why did Clyde turn to a life of crime? Well, first, let's learn a little bit more about Clyde. He was born on March 24th, 1909 in Toledo, Texas. He was the fifth of seven children, God bless his mama, born into a poor but very close-knit farming family. His family's farm, however, failed due to drought. Remember, this was very hard times. And they eventually moved to Texas, to Dallas, Texas. Clyde was a small, quiet, unassuming boy, and he attended school until the age of 16. He did have ambitions of becoming a professional musician. He had learned to play both the guitar and saxophone, and again, a lot of people feel that he was incredibly talented at both. 
However, under the influence of his older brother, Buck, who was looking for a quick buck, Clyde soon turned to that life of crime. He began with some petty thievery, and then he graduated to boosting cars. Clyde soon escalated those activities to armed robbery. And by late 1929, at the age of 2-0, whole 20, Clyde was already a fugitive from the law wanted by authorities for several robberies. Now let's get back to that fateful meeting of Bonnie and Clyde in January. Well, several accounts definitely get into the details of being there in the room where it happens with Bonnie and Clyde when they first met and first fell in love. But most credible accounts state they met on January 5th of 1930 at the home of Clyde's friend Clarence Clay in West Dallas. Bonnie was out of work and she was staying with a female friend to assist her during her recovery after having a bit of a leg injury. And Clyde dropped by the girl's home while Bonnie was in the kitchen making hot chocolate. Told you there's going to be chocolate in this Valentine's story. They both were smitten immediately. And well, most accounts believe that Bonnie joined Clyde because she had fallen in love with him. But let's clear something up. While we know them as Bonnie and Clyde now, Clyde took top billing during their crime spree. They became known as Clyde and Bonnie of the Burrow Gang, and it was Bonnie that penned the poetry and had some journal entries and letters to her family where she put her name first. I mean, she did want to be famous after all, right? Well, friends, back to their budding romance. They spent all of their time together from day one, and they even created adorable pet names for each other, albeit I'm sure that it annoyed quite a few of their friends because they had that couply baby talk going on. But their new romance was interrupted when Clyde was arrested and convicted on various counts of auto theft. Now, this is where Clyde goes from being kind of just a thief to more of a murderous criminal. Because once in prison, Clyde's thoughts turned to escape. By this time, he had fallen madly and deeply in love with Bonnie and Clyde was overtaken some say by heartache. I personally think he just didn't want to be in prison. But sharing his sentiments, much to dismay of her mother, a lovesick Bonnie was more than willing to help the man she called her soulmate. And soon after his conviction, she smuggled a gun into prison for him. But mind you, she's still 19. She don't know what a soulmate is. She was just getting a tattoo of another dude's name three years ago. Alas, my friends, we're going to have a pace change coming on up and we'll discuss more if she really actually knew what a soulmate was in three, two, and one 60 seconds here on the clock for you to either pull it on back or pop it up a notch, maybe change up the incline. Again, if you're on a different type of equipment, maybe you're on the bike, you want to ramp up that resistance a little bit. Maybe you're on a stair stepper and you want to change that resistance on that as well. Whatever you're doing, check in with your form head to toe. Make sure those shoulders are down and back. You're keeping that core engaged and those arms are nice and strong along with those feet moving underneath your hips. Doing absolutely awesome and we'll continue to learn more about Bonnie and Clyde, this infamous, infamous couple. We're here for just 15 more seconds and then we'll all meet again in that five minute block. 
And we're here for five, four, three, two, and one. Let's return to where we left off, which was Bonnie smuggling in a gun, trying to get Clyde out. Well, on March 11th, 1930, Clyde used that gun to escape with his cellmates, but they weren't very good at it because they got captured just a week later. And Clyde was then sentenced to 14 years of very hard labor. And eventually he was transferred to Eastham State Farm where he was repeatedly sexually assaulted by another inmate. And this became pivotal as the part of where he actually really changed from just being kind of just a bad thief to really a very angry, more of a monster as actually has some people described him after that experience. While Clyde was serving his sentence, he and Bonnie became a passionate, became passionately corresponding with each other. And once again, Clyde thought he had to get out of there. He had to be with Bonnie, hoping to be relieved of this grueling work detail that they had him doing during this labor detail and being on the chain gang. He had his big toe and a part of another toe cut off in a quote unquote accident. Actually, some people say that maybe he amputated that toe himself. Maybe he paid another inmate to do it. But one thing is for sure, we are pretty positive at this point that it was no accident. But as a result, he would walk with a permanent limp and he was forced to drive in his socks. Well, unbeknownst to Clyde, as he's cutting off his toes, his desperate scheme was completely unnecessary because his mother had already convinced the judge in his case to grant him parole. He was released two weeks later in February 1932, but the damage he suffered in prison was already done. He was never quite the same. And the only part of his personality that stayed intact before that prison sentence was, it seemed to be, his love for Bonnie. This is where Clyde didn't just go back to a life of crime, though. He brought Bonnie along for that ride. Later in 1932, Bonnie and Clyde began traveling with Raymond Hamilton, a young gunman. Hamilton left them several months later and was replaced by William Daniel Jones in November. Now, if you're wondering why there's so many other people tagging along, well, that's because Bonnie and Clyde started becoming pretty infamous and well-known. So they would have this other third or fourth or fifth member of their gang help them not only with just some of the crime sprees that they were participating in, but to also help them kind of evade being caught by running some of the errands, going off and buying the food or getting the fuel for the car, all of those little things kind of, they were kind of a gopher. Well, when he was replaced with William Daniel Jones in November, Ivan, during that time, Buck, Barrow, brother of Clyde, was released from the Texas State Prison on March 23rd, 1933, having been granted a full pardon by the governor. He quickly joined Clyde as well, bringing along his wife, Blanche. So the group now became a group of five. This gang embarked upon a series of bold robberies that made headlines across the country. They escaped capture and various encounters with the law. However, their activities made law enforcement efforts to apprehend them even more intense. During a shootout with police in Iowa on July 29th of 1933, Buck Barrow was fatally wounded and Blanche was captured. Jones, who was frequently mistaken for quote-unquote pretty boy, Floyd, 
Well, he was captured in November of 1933 in Houston, Texas by the sheriff's office and Bonnie and Clyde went on together. On November 21st, 1933, a trap was set by the Dallas, Texas sheriff and his deputies in an attempt to capture Bonnie and Clyde near Grand Prairie, Texas. But the couple escaped the officer's gunfire. They held up an an attorney on the highway and took his car, which they abandoned in Miami, Oklahoma. Friends, we're already coming up to that next 60 second block. We are just rolling through here super, super fast. Again, lots of details along the way, but while we are getting ready to move up into that next segment, let's just know that while they became famous for bank robberies, while the press made them seem like they were really actually much more sophisticated criminals, they really weren't. They were actually not that great at it. They ended up not getting to be able to actually make a lot of money off of any of their robberies. They started uh, robbing just small businesses, even vending machines. They were living hand to mouth. It was very gritty. They were constantly on the lookout, not able to sleep well. And with that, let's push on up or change that pace in three, two, and one. We're here in this pace change, really finding our groove, either pushing up and really finding those feet getting a little faster, using those arms a little stronger to give us that extra bit of levity and lightness as we get a little extra speedy, sweaty session, or we're pulling back into that walk, maybe grabbing a sip of water, knowing that we're also going to have just one more block at a conversation pace before we come down into our cool down. So you're here for just another 20 seconds. And 10. And three, two, and one, making our way back down into that conversation pace or if we were in a walk bringing it back up into our conversation pace and resetting our posture again using that rpe that rate of perceived effort we're looking for about a 30 to 40 maybe even 50 percent of our max effort so this should feel not easy but at least comfortable well back to that november 22nd 1933 a trap that had been set by the dallas texas sheriff and his deputies Well, while the couple did escape that officer's gunfire and they took the car from the attorney, on December 21st, 1933, Bonnie and Clyde held up and robbed a citizen at Shreveport, Louisiana. So see, as what I'm telling you, my friends, they weren't quite the sophisticated bank robbers as they were portrayed to be. Now, on January 16th, 1934, five prisoners, including Raymond Hamilton, who was serving sentences totaling more than 200 years, were liberated from the Eastham State Prison Farm at Waldo, Texas by Clyde Barrow, accompanied by Bonnie Parker. Clyde was determined that nobody that he knew, loved, or cared for had to have any more time serving at prison because he had had such a horrible experience that he wanted no one that he knew to participate or having to live through that either. However, what was very interesting is that when they actually did pull up to help these prisoners escape, was that a few other prisoners that Clyde didn't even know came running their way to also try to get a free ride out of prison. 
well. As far as Clyde was concerned, anybody who made it to the safety of their car was safe and that he would take them out of there. But two guards were not safe. They were shot by the escaping prisoners with automatic pistols, which had been previously concealed in a ditch by Clyde. As the prisoners ran, Clyde covered their retreat with bursts of machine gun fire. Among the escapees that made it to safety into the refuge of Clyde and Bonnie's car was Henry Methven of Louisiana. Now, friends, Henry Methven and that little act of kindness that they bestowed upon him, well, that may have been one of those things that was the official undoing of Bonnie and Clyde, or at least it set off the chain of events that created their demise. But alas, friends, let's continue to learn here because on April 1st, 1934, Methvin joins their gang, of course, and Bonnie and Clyde, as they continue to resume their life of just kind of knocking over whatever they could, living hand to mouth with this new crew, Bonnie and Clyde encountered two young highway patrolmen near Grapevine, Texas. Before the officers could draw their guns, they were shot. On April 6, 1934, a constable at Miami, Oklahoma, fell mortally wounded by Bonnie and Clyde, who, was, who also abducted a police chief whom they wounded. Now, this is where accounts and historical accounts get a little fuzzy. Some reports will say that Bonnie and Clyde were these horribly murderous, that they knew exactly what they were doing, that they orchestrated this. Others say that it was kind of just that they had been cornered and they were kind of like a wounded animal at this point, that they just would shoot out whatever they had to to get out of being caught and apprehended. Either way, it is incredibly sad for the loved ones of these officers. And this is where we start to see the tides turning. Prior to this, everybody was kind of cheering for Bonnie and Clyde. They were a little bit of what they perceived as this romantic version of Robin Hood. But here and now, the police and authorities started working with the press and they started to really paint Bonnie and Clyde as being these horrible um, criminals that would pretty much take anyone down that came along their way. Well, the FBI was very much involved at this point, and they were in charge of transporting a stolen automobile. Well, although the FBI was only originally involved with this stolen automobile charge, this activity of shooting down these prisoners helped them to actually kind of be able to call more of the shots and wanted notices furnishing fingerprints, photograph descriptions, criminal records, and other data were distributed to all officers, basically put out an APB, and the agents followed the trail through many states and into various haunts of the Barrow Gang, particularly Louisiana. And then the association with Henry Methvin and the Methvin family of Louisiana was discovered by the FBI agents, and they found that Bonnie and Clyde had been driving a car stolen into New Orleans. Now, friends, this is we're going to pull it back into our cool down. We're going to walk it out here and then we'll continue to learn about what happened with Bonnie and Clyde. So pull it down into that walk in three, two and one. Now, friends, on April 13th, 1934, an FBI agent through investigation in the vicinity of Reston, Louisiana, obtained information which definitively placed Bonnie and Clyde in a remote section of the southwest part of that community. The home of the Methvins was not far away. The agent had learned of visits there by Bonnie and Clyde, and special agents in Texas had learned that Clyde and his companion 
had been traveling from Texas to Louisiana, sometimes accompanied by Henry Methvin. The FBI and local law enforcement authorities in Louisiana and Texas concentrated on apprehending Bonnie and Clyde, whom they strongly believed to be in that area. It was learned that Bonnie and Clyde, with some of the Methvins, were heading to Bainville, or Bienville, I should say, to seek refuge at Methvin's family farm in Bienville Parish, Louisiana. But when this police posse learned of their whereabouts, Methvin's father ended up betraying the famous outlaws in exchange for amnesty for his son. On May 23rd, 1934, while Bonnie and Clyde were driving down the Louisiana back road, when they saw Methvin's father standing by his broken down truck. Unbeknownst to them, the posse of police officers led by Hamer were lying in wait. And when Bonnie and Clyde stopped to help the elder Methvin, the police opened fire and the duo were killed in a hail of bullets. By the time of their deaths, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow were so famous that souvenir seekers at the scene attempted to make off with locks of her hair. They wanted to cut off like blood-soaked pieces of Bonnie's hair. They were trying to tear off their clothes. They also were trying to cut off, or accounts say that they tried to cut off uh, Clyde's trigger finger, his ears, whatever they could get their hands on for just like these morbid souvenirs. Their bodies were eventually returned to Dallas, but despite their wishes to be buried side by side, they were actually buried in separate cemeteries. Despite their violent crimes, the reality of their life was that it was actually really, really hands to mouth, just absolutely not at all glamorous. Bonnie and Clyde have, though, been heavily romanticized by the media, and their sensational story has numerous retellings, including probably what made them most infamous in today was the 1967 Arthur Penn film, Bonnie and Clyde, which starred Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty in the title roles. There was even a 2011 Broadway musical and then a 2013 made-for-TV miniseries. Their bullet-riddled car remains on display at a casino outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. And as you all know, as participating in Murder, Mayhem, and Miles, where we followed that infamous last path before they met their demise, you can also go along their famous route throughout the United States and kind of have different points along the way. But my friends, we're pulling it back down. We're done with today's story. We're done with today's workout. I do want to leave you with a few lessons because that's what we do here. My first lesson is that it's kind of is super sad for me that they did find themselves in this situation because I do think that they were much too young to have this kind of a life. And I do believe that maybe if it wouldn't have been the 1930s, maybe if it was the 2030s, <laughs> they would have found another way for that infamy and another way to make a living. But lesson number two, and probably the most important, is that Bonnie's poetry actually wasn't really half bad. So we're going to end this story of true love and crime with the final stanza of her poem, A Trail's End. And it goes, someday they'll go down together and they'll bury them side by side. To few, it'll be grief, to the law, a relief, but it's death 
for Bonnie and Clyde. Thank you all for running scared with me. Make sure you're subscribed and you're ready to hear more. Join the community and let me know what you think about Bonnie and Clyde.